Well, I've reviewed 11 movies. Do you have a idea for an intro? What, you mean the, the uh, like, a, a, like a jokey bit where we do jokes? Yeah. No. Hey, you're listening to Jen and the Film Critic. My name's Jen Blundell, and with me, with and with me as always is my film critic Paul Salt. Say hello, Paul Salt. Woohoo! <laughs> There's a good boy. Gold coins for you. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and as always, this is a Scream Mayhem podcast. Sure is. Sure is. Paul Salt. You've watched 11 Hello. films. I've watched 11... Fi- well, I've watched many more films, but I've, I'm, I'm here to talk about 11 films. Wow. <laughs> wow. Do you want to hear about Dursu Azala, the uh, Soviet Kira Kurosawa movie from the mid-70s? Yeah. <laughs> I called your bluff. <laughs> you little Death punk. Your eyes. <laughs> the distance in your eyes. <laughs> Look, if it's film and you're talking about it and I don't have to make any effort... Yeah. <laughs> then you're on board. I'm on board. Mm-hmm. Love it. We'll tell you what, let's uh-huh. talk about something a yes. little bit more recent than 1975, shall we? Sure. We could legitimately talk about 1976, a great movie that came out last year, but <laughs> from Argentina. I think I talked about that in the LFF critic, but mm. if not, I should have because it was great. Was it the one that about... was one about the woman? Uh, her, she's a... She's a uh, uh, wife mm-hmm. she's, she's a, a housewife wife. she's a wife she's, she's a so much more than a wife <laughs> here's the thing I f- i'm pretty sure it's argentinian who was their big dictator uh oh uh, argentinian that's no, no uh yeah you see i keep muddling up the dictators down there they had a lot are you sure it wasn't about chile and about pinochet, pinochet. could have been about chile and pinochet pinochet Pinochet. 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 We've had this, sure co- we had this whole conversation where you were like, someone's <laughs> told produ- me you just pronounced the T. Oh, yes. Somebody did tell me that. Oh, God. I'm pretty sure the production was at least partially Argentinian. I don't, know. I I didn't even watch this film. Any of the films that we're due to be discussing. Yeah, Chilean, Chilean Argentine drama. Um, so it probably was about Pinochet. Nevertheless, it was about a housewife who got involved in the resistance after sheltering an injured uh, resistance fighter and it was oh. extremely good oh, okay. and I learned a lot about everything you know look <laughs> including the place not... of where it was and who was the dictator <laughs> look cinema is not a place of facts okay mm-hmm. I'm not a documentary reviewer no. all right I know about emotional truths I know what it meant to that woman to betray her family and how that is applicable to all of us who disregard the greater evils in our society for the sake of convenience do I know who Pinochet is do I know where Argentina even is no but fake it's not a real country I'm still coming out better from this fake news. <laughs> All of South America is fake news. All of America is. It's like Narnia. Uh, which brings us to the first film, Creed 3. Creed Narnia. 3. Narnia. The Creed. Chronicles of Creed 3. Return to Narnia. <laughs> yeah. Yes, this is the latest installment of the Rocky spin-off series featuring Michael B. Jordan as a big fighty man named Adonis Creed. Uh, and it's about his ongoing bo- uh, fighty man career. Mm-hmm. This time, he's retiring after a successful final bout, only to have his idyllic life as a family man and boxing academy manager disrupted by a figure from his troubled past. A troubled a past. A former friend. A troubled past has come for him. A former friend and troubled past uh, named Diamond Dame. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Mm. Played by Jonathan Majors. He's pretty good. Oh, cool. 
Nice. Yeah, he's a pretty good guy. Um, and he has a grudge to bear of some sorts, which is going to come out uh, probably, probably mm. end up with him fighting him in a big boxing ring. Nice. Yeah, yeah, probably. Spoilers. I could see I could see that, that being the format. There's just not going to be the chance for the two men to really just talk it out before they go and punch each other in the big <laughs> boxing ring. So I think we're probably going to be heading towards the ring. Um, so the original Creed film was directed by Ryan Coogler and benefited from that innovation and energy and you know, it was really needed to reinvigorate an already six-strong franchise. Mm. Um, and here we are, two two Creed movies later, and this film is directed by series star Michael B. Jordan. And it's not without its directorial quality. The boxing sequences are few, but extremely effective. You really feel the impact of these blows to each other. And, you know, through camera movements, slow motion, sound design... There's some abstract imagery thrown in to sort of help add context where the drink suddenly disappears and they're fighting in a jail and all of this is going mm. in. It's good. It's good stuff. And you've got to try and make these things more visually distinct because, after all, we have got such a long history of boxing films behind us at this stage. So to make something that feels fresh and exciting is, uh, yeah, tricky. And, and this manages it quite mm. impressively. You know, when you feel that excitement as the fighters come out and the music's playing and the crowd's going wild and, yeah. Yeah, you do. You get buzzed. You know, it builds well and then doesn't disappoint, which is great. Um, I like the premise that, you know, Creed has worked to get himself out of tough circumstances and was only ever maybe a tourist in those circumstances in the first place due to his very rich family. Um, He's proven himself worthy of his birthright, but is still chained to the lifestyle and community that sustained and threatened him as a youth. Um, it's nothing, I guess nothing terribly new, sort of sins of the past and all that. And, you know, I worked myself up to get away from this kind of thing, but Mm. I just keep pulling me back in. You know, it's any gangster thing more than anything else, but it's very welcome to see this franchise move away from its dependence on legacy characters, even if it does recycle numerous plot elements from earlier Rockies. Uh, crucially, Sylvester Stallone is not in this due to falling out with the, uh, series producer, Ivan, Irvin Winkler, um, and disagreeing with the cultural direction of uh, creative direction and cultural direction oh my god <laughs> that's what it is uh, there's the creative direction okay. of uh, Creed uh, Sly is not here um, which is a little conspicuous particularly when a certain character dies and you do think Rocky would have been <laughs> invited to this funeral sure. mm, yeah. he should have at least thrown away a line to explain he's in hospital or jail or something mm. But the real issue is one of involvement. Um, It's an exceptional cast, especially Jonathan Majors, who really is promising to be that rarest of actors who successfully transitions from independent and art cinema to blockbusters without compromising on their range and their ability. He really plays uh, Diamond Dame with this exciting, sinister air. He's willing to cheat and play dirty and scheme his way to the top in a way that I can't readily compare to a previous Rocky opponent. Whether well, you know, always just bigger and tougher than the last guy, but this guy's scrappier. You know, he's like the Joker of um, mm. Rocky opponents. He's just not going to play fair, and I like that. Um, elsewhere, the star-studded cast are fine at rendering a very familiar and somewhat rote drama to the screen. Everybody's believable enough that, this, but the story just doesn't really hit as hard. Oh, 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 oh! Uh-oh. I was paying Boxing attention metaphor. and I heard that. <laughs> you weren't playing with your phone honest oh my nerve, what you just you nerve pilots i was, oh, I was googling jonathan major yes of course he's a very i think he's a beautiful man he's very and beautiful he was in, yes he is in the last black man in san francisco where he played an absolutely beautiful soul 
uh, that I love a lot. And now he's playing very burly men. He's in yeah, this. Yeah, burly. He's in, I noticed. He's in, yeah, he's very burly. He's very good and burly. And I like the way it withholds the thing. Like, it's the big selling point is seeing Jonathan Majors without his shirt on. So it goes a lot of the movie teasing you with that mm. and not showing it to you. And that's, yeah, a lot of fun. Um, but we can we can all see it. We can just Google it. Yeah, we can. So, we'll and you're going to be seeing more of it because he's going to be in a, uh, a documentary about bodybuilders soon. Oh, so. oh interesting. Yeah, so that's good stuff. I'm very excited about Jonathan Majors. Less excited about Creed 3. Um, because, yeah, the central drama revolves around this idea that Creed made a mistake in his youth. Um, but it's 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 not essential to his character, the mistake that he made. I won't spoil it here because mm. they draw it out. But it's not a life-altering, character-breaking dilemma that he must confront and overcome to fix all of the problems in his life. It was circumstances, you know, and it's it's resolved quite efficiently, you know, once it actually is brought out to the surface. Um, and there's an issue of his daughter that rehashes a story from Rocky V, i.e. is it okay to fight bullies, but that gets dropped without resolution. Mm. Um, a big thing involving a member of his extended family um, doesn't feel fully integrated and just kind of happens, and it's just another way of taking responsibility for the misunderstanding off of Creed. Just, I don't know, it just makes everything feel toothless. Mm. It's also just meeting a quota for a tragic death in the second act, which feels very <laughs> arbitrary. And, yeah, the lack of drama can best be summarized by the fact that at the midpoint fight scene, because there's only three fight scenes, and in the middle one, it's one of Creed's fighters from his gym versus another one of Creed's fighters from his gym. Oh, okay. And then when the outcome happens, he's upset with that outcome. For some reason. That's the thing, is I just don't know why he's involved. Near the end, the announcers say that Creed is the underdog in this fight, and you just think... Is he? Has that been established? Mm. You know, it has not been really fully communicated why he's at a disadvantage here, nor why this fight is so important to him, really. Other than the idea that he's going back to confront his past, but that's just not really successfully explored, I feel. Um, the Rocky franchise essentially it, it ran out of ideas after the first movie, really, because Rocky 2 is just a remake of Rocky. Mm. And then 3 is the same, but more ridiculous, and 4 <laughs> more so, and it just got m- sillier and sillier until the sixth one. Had dragons. The first at many. Yeah, the sixth one had dragons and time travel. He fought a dragon, he punched one... a dragon right in the face. <laughs> it went back in time to back be the in first time. Rocky. Punched a dragon, <laughs> met aliens. <laughs> I might have been watching the Terminator movie and Game of Thrones at the same time. I don't know. My life is hell. (laughs) But yeah, the the sixth one was the first attempt to return to the heart of the first one, as was Creed 1. Then Creed 2 got sillier again. And you kind of think, okay, maybe we're heading off into into the wacky lands again. But no, (laughs) here we are. Back to supposedly the heart and back to not really having anything new to say since the original Mm. Rocky. So, you know, there's only so many ways you can be an underdog. Yeah. You know, you can be too old, too young, too inexperienced, too experienced. At the end of the day, you're kind of just repeating the same beats mm. here. And, you know, Jordan wants this to be a new franchise, and his handling of the fight sequences does excite me, but if he wants these movies to have any real staying power in a culture, he's going to have to find something more to say about these very large fighty men. <laughs> so, I'll give it three stars for being a good experience, but I can't say that this is a good or compelling drama. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it's a shame. Have you seen any Rockies? No, I haven't. No, Ooh, no not a single one. Fun. Yeah, I can imagine so. 
the first one is it, it follows the same pattern that all of Sly Stallone's stuff did in the 1970s then 80s because in the 70s he made very socially aware action movies that had poignant things to say and in the 80s he made sequels to all of those where he completely goes against the messages sure, of them sure. <laughs> Rocky was a scrappy underdog who didn't need to win he just needed to go the distance mm. in Rocky 4 made in the 1980s he goes to the Soviet Union and single handedly wins the Cold War <laughs> it's very good it's very good and in Rambo in First Blood he's a terrified war veteran who is now utterly incapable of living in mainstream America Mm. anymore and mainstream America doesn't want him back Mm. it doesn't want the monsters it created and it's a terrible condemnation of that system and the system that created him and the one that he's now a part of and in Rocky 2 he goes to Vietnam and wins it yeah he does I have actually (laughs) seen the Rockies sort of because they were sorry the Rambos yes they were played Mm. a back to back on a long distance bus journey i took across china amazing and so they Why? just i don't know paul <laughs> but they just put the rambos on the tv oh god and they just played them they just i was like oh they put rambo amazing. one on i've never watched that before I'll, i mean it's i can't hear a thing and the subtitles it's are in chinese so i'll just sort of like when you're on your own <laughs> I don't Did even know. I can't as... hear a single thing, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Did look... they get as far as the third one, where he t- he goes to Afghanistan and teams up with a scrappy bunch of underdogs called the Taliban? <laughs> I can't remember. Fight against Russia. I think they did though, because it just like the fir- Rambo one ended, and I was like, "Oh dear, what they're going to put on now? It's probably going to be rubbish." <laughs> and then Rambo, Rambo two. two started. I was like, "Yay, we're just doing Rambos, just straight Rambos today. That's great." Uh, <laughs> what a curation! What a curatorial <laughs> argument! I've seen some. I've had to sit with some bad films on and buses before. Um, Amazing, and the, that you're stuck listening to. Um, uh, so Rambo, having a bunch of Rambo's play was not not the worst <laughs> thing in the world. But I can't no, say I truly fair. watched it properly. My <laughs> most well, not as the way no, it was no. meant to be experienced. My real understanding of Rambo comes entirely from Son of Rambo. Oh, of course, <laughs> yeah. That's fair. <laughs> well, look, we're doing your Rambo. <laughs> no, we've had our final Rambo. I think we're doing a spin-off involving a young young kid of Rambo, Son mm. of Rambo, there Son of go. Rambo. Can, there you go. Yeah, make a sequel to that. Make it a gritty, hardcore <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> installment in the main franchise. Oh, yeah. So if any, if anything, though, can help you appreciate the, the pyrotechnics and personal stakes of Creed 3, it's the other big blockbuster of the month. <gasps> Ant-Man and the Wasp. Oh, Quantum, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah I've, I've heard noises. Paul Rudd is back as Ant-Man, Scott Lang, who's adapting to to life being exactly the same as it's always been in spite of all the stuff that's happened to him in other people's (laughs) movies, when suddenly he, his girlfriend the Wasp, Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, and his daughter Cassie all get sucked into the quantum realm, a supposedly subatomic space that exists all around us all the time, but if it's subatomic, what is everything made of down there, and why do people always end up being in the same bit of it, when, in theory, two people sat next to each other shrunk down to the quantum realm would be light years apart from each other. Never mind that. Science. Science. Science fiction. You're not meant to take it too seriously. Don't um, think about it. We're just doing metaphors. Yeah. Oh god. Um. Esen- yeah. Essentially, it functions like a planet. There, they must fight for survival and face off against. Oh, Jonathan Majors again. Oh. He plays a terrible dictator named Kang. <laughs> Why are they always called something like that? 
Because it was written in the 1960s. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, right. Of course it was. Yeah, true. That Zip Zap Zoom is one of the bad guys. <laughs> there is actually a bad guy called Fing Thang Foom. He's a dragon. Wow. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's racist. Yeah, it probably sounds quite racist. It does sound quite racist. Uh, what's the, been in What's the one that they shout in um, Star Trek? Excelsior? No, there's the 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 one that he's in. Oh, Khan. Khan, thank you. That's, that's as soon it. as you said Kang, I was like, there's another guy with a K. Excelsior Stanley's catchphrase. I have no idea why it's Excelsior. Excelsior, he says. True believers. Uh, well, true believers, you're in for a rough ride because the. The Ant-Man series has almost consistently been the most unremarkable example of where the MCU is actually at at any given time. Yeah. And as such, it's quite a good metric to measure the failing health of the project overall. Um, the movie was an Iron Man clone with some invented, inventive action scenes. The second was a knockabout capo with a few emotional stakes, which summed up where Phase 3 was at the time. And now we have this utterly banal adventure movie that very closely resembles Strange World, which we reviewed back in December. Um, huh. In its aesthetic, imagination, and emotional depth, which is to, which is to say, not much on any front. It's it's depressing to know to know just how uncreative this film is. You know, the technology to grow and shrink things, which is the meat and potatoes of the Ant Man sort of series. You know, the the action sequences has always been good for a few interesting gags. You know, shrink a car, chuck it, and then throw the thing that makes it mm. big again. That kind of thing, but here it's just so perfunctory. He makes it—he makes himself small and then big to punch stuff, and he makes himself very, very big when he needs to smash up a city, and that's it. Mm. It's a hideous-looking film where nothing has any physicality or substance to it. The new villain, Modok, is the ugliest goddamn thing I've ever seen on <laughs> a cinema screen. Let's Google that. So aggressively unattractive that it's sure to be every incel's profile picture come the end of the year. It's a gift to angry white men, and I hate it. I hate it a lot. The, I hated looking at it for the whole oh, what's movie. What's it called? Mo- modem? Modoc. Mm. Mechanized organism oh. designed only for killing. Yeah, Jesus. I hate that. I hate it a lot, Jen. And I know it's meant to look bad, but four. <laughs> four. <laughs> oh, God. And you see his butt in the film. Oh, not his bum. Ugh. Yeah, you see his bum. Performances are depressing. Uh, Jonathan Majors shines in exactly one sequence where he's allowed to be truly menacing. It's the sequence where he offers Michelle Pfeiffer to ignore all of the things he's just learned about him and simply go home and ignore everything. Mm. And it's it's menacing because Jonathan Majors is good. Yeah. Otherwise, he's just a shoutier Thanos. Uh, Evangeline Lilly, who plays the Wasp, she recently gushed to the press about how impressed she was that Marvel were willing to ignore her anti-vax activism that she's involved in. But hmm. their exact words were, we don't care. And it's kind of plain to see why, because the Wasp has never been an interesting or central character in spite of her prominence in the title of two of these movies now. Mm. And is especially bland in this film, in both writing and performance. She has maybe two dozen lines in the entire thing. Most of the time she just stands around and smiles, all of her dialogue is exposition. She has nothing to do actor-wise. And at the end of the movie, when she kisses Scott, I actually laughed because I forgot they were an item. <laughs> I think that was their first scene together. Wow. Previously, they had talked in a car, but they were mostly talking to the third person in the car, not to each other. Sure. There was nothing there. Wow. Bill Murray is in this. Well. Playing Jeff Goldblum from 4-3. It's the same character. <laughs> and there's a scene with him, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Michael Douglas. And it's a miracle that director Peyton Reed manages to drain it completely of energy. Wow. Like, these are three of the, like, 
great very charismatic <laughs> of the 20th century very charismatic actors and they, they they're doing nothing they're so boring it, it's staggering you have to try so hard they must have been so unhappy maybe they got to talk <laughs> about the old days on set yeah and just think about how great the paycheck was gonna be <laughs> yeah oh god um speaking of um actors who either shouldn't be here or should be uh the actor playing scott lang's daughter in endgame emma thurman is replaced here by Catherine newton um a close escape for thurman i think because the character is so wet and boring that she may as well have stepped out of a disney tv movie just like one of the descendants there's just mm. nothing to her uh it's not funny I saw it with a particularly undemanding group of teenagers who would laugh at pretty much the cadence of jokes, but even they struggled to find some of the clunkers laid out in in any way amusing. And the worst thing about it, I think, is that it's just incredibly lazy. There's just not an ounce of passion in it, and it's expected. It assumes a place in cinemas and popular culture that it doesn't deserve. Mm. And I'm seeing online now a lot of backlash to people decrying MCU fatigue you know, posts because they've become so tired and so ubiquitous now, but my God, is it still true? I'm not engaging with any of the TV stuff anymore since Miss Marvel. And I only see the films now because of this podcast, essentially. <laughs> I but apologize. I really, I really think it's time that viewers start being a little bit more discerning when it comes to the MCU and just go to see the stuff that actually looks like some effort has been put in. Mm. You need to see the Marvels out of any sense of brand loyalty, especially if they're not going to show you the same kind of respect. So, I think it's going to be one star. This is the worst thing they've put out, and it's really just incredibly lazy. Wow. Wow. It it just, it represented everything I dislike in modern blockbusters. Okay. Yeah. Ouch. Well, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. fair enough. I, I, yeah. I think I'd be reviewing it this badly if it was standalone film as well. If it was standalone film, you'd be absolutely befuddled by it. You'd think, why do I know nothing about any of these characters? Why is it devoting so much time to building up a world that I have no investment in? Mm. We're never coming back to the quantum realm, surely. There's not going to be another quantum realm movie, so why do we need to spend so much time learning about their politics when <laughs> it's so unoriginal? It's just a standard tyranny. So is, the, is the quantum realm just like a miniature universe that exists on a very small I level? I thought that it was just meant to be what happens if you just keep getting smaller. Yeah, well, yeah, I think that's what they're trying to imply with the word quantum. Well, but so. does it function just like a port? Um, it's like you've zipped through a portal and now you're with the borrowers. Kind of, yeah. It essentially oh. works. It's like an alternate dimension or a distant mm. planet, essentially. Okay. That's, that's what it is. But you know what? I can tell you two things that were good about it. Okay. One, at the very end of the movie, and this isn't a spoiler, the word Ant-Man comes on screen. And then after a moment, a U comes in between the ant and the man. A Q-U comes in at the beginning and an I-A at the end. And you realize that the word Ant-Man is inside the word Quantumania. Oh, that's good. Exactly. That's and you clever. feel alive for a second. Huh. For one second, you think, ah. You're like, that's clever because that means quantum. Yeah. Quant- the quantum thing was inside all. Yeah. Oh, it was um, in it the whole time. Yeah. Um, Except the reverse. Ant Man was inside the quantum realm. Anyway, yeah. whatever. Metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphor, I think. Um, <laughs> another thing is that William Jackson Harper is here, who um, everyone will know as um, Chidi from uh, the, the Good Luck, mm. the Good Place. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's almost kind of annoying the context in which he's here because he's just wheeled in to be comedic relief. And oh. it's, it's frustrating the extent to which that is. Um, mm. 
differentiated. Now, I'm trying to find out who plays the very large woman in this. And I'm, I'm, I'm irritated that she's not more prem- prominent in the... Um... There we are, Katie O'Brien as Gentora. Katie O'Brien is a large woman, and she's great. I enjoy her a lot. She's very muscly, and she shows up in the movie, and it's very good. Are you Googling a picture of her, uh, Jen? I've got a British tennis player called Katie O'Brien. Is that her? No, I don't think so. Mm. Try Katie M. O'Brien, or, or try Katie O'Brien, um, Ant-Man. American yes, I have actress. now searched. I've searched Katie O'Brien, Ant-Man, and I'm seeing a very large woman. Oh, yeah. She's yeah. awesome. She's great. Cool. So I enjoy her being in the movie and the bits where she shows up and throws things because it looks good. <laughs> she has a charismatic screen presence, which is more than I can say for Mr. Paul Rudd at the moment. I, I'm sure I've liked Paul Rudd in things. Halloween 6, perhaps. But <laughs> he's, yeah. he's really not a charismatic lead for this. No. I, quite, I remember quite enjoying the first Ant-Man. I remember thinking it was all right. I remember the bit where he first shrinks in his suit and, and almost goes down the plug um, mm-hmm. to be really interesting. And Michael Pena's, you know, bits. Michael Pena not in the movie. None of his human crew are in the movie. Mm. Yeah. yeah. All right. It just, it feels like you could have plugged any of the heroes into this. It didn't feel inherent to Ant-Man. Sure. Yeah. Ugh. Anywho. Anywho. Let's think of another. Let's, 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 you know, it would be really nice if Marvel could just pick a single character driven concept and stick to it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, knock at the cabin. Knock, knock. Oh, is this the one with Batista in? With his tiny yes. glasses? You have his tiny glasses. Okay, I'm all on board. Tell me. <laughs> is this Shyamalan? Let's talk about is this M. Night knock Shyamalan? At the cabin. This is the new M. Night Shyamalan. Mm. How do I know uh, this much? <laughs> it's worth knowing because yes it's another adaptation of a well-loved indie book just like old was uh it was an adaptation of sandcastles a graphic novel but is it as hilariously funny as old mm-hmm. that's what we need to know a young girl and her two dads are out in the woods when suddenly they are approached by a bespectacled, uh bespectacled bespectacled respectacle muscly strange mm-hmm. i respectacled <laughs> i respectacle the hell out of this uh, spectacle <laughs> because yes they, it's dave batista in spectacles and he shows up He's incredibly articulate and is joined by a hillbilly Rupert Grint and two others. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, they show up and they tell the small family that the gang have received a vision. Each of them have received a vision explaining that they must come and offer this family an ultimatum. They must choose one of their own member to die or the world will end. Mm. That is the premise a very very intriguing premise but the problem is Shyamalan does have a habit of sucking all the mystery out of his premises Mm. he likes to explain and have you feel how clever he is for having done the things he's done the absolute most notable instance of this is old where the mysterious beach that makes people old for no reason is transformed into a rather ridiculous twist involving a conspiracy um that doesn't necessarily happen here but what is pulled out of the original story is the ambiguity, mm. which is a shame. Um, it's removed. Yeah, all the ambiguity of the original story is removed by the climax. And the story is transformed from a story about uncertainty and weighing personal good against collective to essentially one of faith. And the mm. ending makes it pretty unambiguously clear as to what the right thing to do is, which is okay. a shame. Because in doing so, you end up having to consider the premise in a much more literal sense. And it suffers for that because Mm. you just start to think, well, what was that all about then? (laughs) Yeah. Every Shyamalan film comes out 
is either so bad it's good or a device or a divisive film that a slim majority of people describe as a return to form. That's the way it's been. Yeah. Ever since pretty much the village has been that way. It's either <laughs> been people have just narrowly the people are like, yeah, it's worth seeing, you know. Yeah. Or it's ha ha ha. This is hilarious. Yeah. You know, this is the two things you get with Shyamalan. And unfortunately, I think those two things are working against each other here and it doesn't end up on either. Mm. It's too silly to be taken seriously and it's too competent to be consistently entertaining. So you find yourself just wishing it would just get a bit worse. Um, As a thriller, Shyamalan's direction is too inconsistent. He doesn't understand well enough what makes a frame or a shot funny. Mm. (laughs) You know, it's something slowly entering into frame, for example, or a very long rotating shot of the characters. He just doesn't quite understand why it's amusing. Mm. So yeah, as a thriller, the direction is too inconsistent. The characters make too many poor decisions and say too many inexplicable things (laughs) because the dialogue is silly, but not quite silly enough. If there's one unambiguous strength here, something that you don't need to temper or qualify, it is Dave Bautista, who delivers an incredibly compassionate performance as this school teacher, and I think he was like a a youth uh, life coach, Mm. who doesn't want to be the bearer of this news, doesn't want to be the executor of this plan, and is really devastated at the pain he's having to cause. Shyamalan knows to just stick a camera in his face and keep it there, because Bautista is very commanding in those sequences. Cool. Um, And they are just the best in the film. Otherwise, I just don't think Shyamalan knows enough how to monitor tone and what makes his material special. So, oh, I've given it two stars. That's not fair. Let's give it three. Sure. Okay. It's three stars because the the, the bits and pieces are there of a cult movie, but I just don't think he quite gets there. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I'm glad Batista did good in it because I love him. Oh, he did good. I love Batista. I think we all love Batista, Batista and we want to see him do well. Yeah. Um, fingers crossed for the continued continued success of Dave Batista. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Give yeah. him some good dramatic roles. Oh God. You know we got Dune two coming, but I imagine <laughs> he's just going to remain a large, cool man. Yeah. True. We need him to. We need him to get that rom com he wanted. Yeah, exactly. I want to see him play like. Or or dramatic lead in yeah something very I want to see him do do real Remake acting. to kill a mockingbird. Mm. Stick him in it as Harper yeah. as Harper Lee. Nope, nope, yep. not even close. Atticus <laughs> Atticus Finch. Finch. Jeez, what is wrong with me? I'm illiterate, mm-hmm. folks. I've never read a book in my life. <laughs> uh, to demonstrate that, let's films. talk about <laughs> to demonstrate that further. Let's talk about Cocaine Bear. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Starring Dave Bautista as the cocaine bear. <laughs> now, that's a uh, role. That's a role of a lifetime. Elizabeth Banks, director of Pitch Perfect, directs this woodland Ooh. slasher film based loosely on a real story in which a Colombian drug dealer ditched his cocaine load out of his plane where it fell into a forest and into the paws of a bear. And straight up the nose of a bear. Straight up the nose of the titular cocaine bear. And that's just about where the similarities to real life end, because what ensues is a very well, very contained, but surprisingly sprawling slasher film and crime story that focuses its energies onto a handful of very impactful set pieces. You know, a week later on, and I'm just finding myself getting excited thinking about the the ambulance sequence or the lodge sequence or the pavilion standoff, Mm. you know. Consequently, I do think it has all the standing... uh, all the chances of becoming a cult classic in the long run. Oh, fun. That's fun. I can see people getting excited about it. Um, and I think it's too silly to deter most like hardcore horror fans. It has some very um, 
compelling scare sequences that can be compared to, you know, other monster movies like Jaws even. Um, but it's just silly enough that I think it, it has just enough of a dark sense of humor to it to get people in. Because that's what it has. It has those most uh, exciting of elements. A propensity for alarming violence and a dark sense of humor. Once you have, once you prove you can do those two things, you know, you're looking at like recent Tarantino or Jeremy Ooh. Saulnier or S. Craig Zala. It, it means you're having fun, but you're really on edge the entire mm. time because you never know when a character's head might just explode. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> okay. It's, I, it's like I can a... tell you right now, I'm not going to watch this one, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, usually it's when there's a bear around. <laughs> yeah, um, still. <laughs> it, it's just like a wacky horror film with silly jump scares, but this doesn't feel cheap. That's the best thing mm. about it. In fact, it doesn't feel like deliberate provocation. It's not contrived, and it feels entirely assured. Uh, Banks is just a really safe pair of hands, it turns out, and I wouldn't have guessed necessarily beforehand. Um, there's there's no lull. Every sequence earns its place and notably feels absent from the story. Nobody feels absent from the story for too long. There's not terribly much to say about it. It's just a very simple and silly premise that's delivered in exactly the right tone and style. It delivers everything you want and is notable for being far more competent than you might expect based off solely on the premise. Yeah, I thought it was a really excellent film to see with a crowd. And right. to pick out a few MVPs, Ray Liotta is here in his <gasps> final role, I think. Um, and is just, he's really good. He's a really good bad guy for the whole thing. Great. Alden Ehrenreich is here uh, from Solo. Mm-hmm. Um, having played Han Solo and had a bit of a career break from mm. that, he's back and is really funny. Oh, um, what's his name? Ice Cube's kid. I say, Ice uh, Cube's kid. Yeah, Ice Tiny Cube's Puddle. Kid. <laughs> what's smaller uh, than Ice an Ice Cube? Cube? Hold on, Ice Cube's son. Shavings. O'Shea Jackson Jr. Thank you. Uh-huh. O'Shea Jackson Jr. is here and he's great. I don't know if people remember him from like, um, obviously uh, Straight Outta Compton. He played his dad. Um, or uh, what's it called? Ingrid Grows West. He was brilliant in that. He's mm. he's really good because he's just this he's this big guy, but he's got this great sort of uh, humility to him that I think makes him really charming. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very fond cool. of him. Cool. So I was glad to see him here. Um, who else is here? Isaiah Whitlock, Whitlock Jr. is in the movie. A guy who looks like he's going to do his famous catchphrase from The Wire at every second he's on screen. <laughs> <laughs> just He just has the look of him that he's going to do it. <laughs> and he, I think he, he kind of does it once. What what is his famous catchphrase? I have not watched I, The Wire. I can't say on I this sh- podcast that so you can. Oh, I sh- I'd have to bleep it, and I'm not editing this. I assume it's <laughs> that's a tasty sandwich. <laughs> no, 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 wait. It'll be something like, "Oh my gosh, a bear!" Yeah, that happens oh, yeah. a lot. That happened a lot in Boston. In The is Wire, that, is that what? Uh, Baltimore. Chicago, Baltimore, mm. Baltimore, Baltimore. But is oh, that near no. Boston? Do they speak with? Is it? Um, is it the show that uh, yeah, has famous strong do. Boston accents? Hey, give me a break, kind of. No, don't talk like that. <laughs> hey, it's the wire. <laughs> <laughs> McNulty, get in here. McNulty, uh, look, it's a cocaine bear. Da 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 da. Da da da. Stop looking at your Nintendo. <laughs> um, Baltimore is in Maryland, Washington. It's not very close to Boston. No, that's the opposite side of the country, isn't it? Uh, it's not opposite, I don't think. No, it's not opposite, but it's just down the coast. You've uh, got a New York and a Philadelphia in between. Uh, oh, Maryland. Oh, okay. Yeah, you've got three states. You've got Pennsylvania, sure, sure, New sure, York, sure. Connecticut, okay. Rhode ah. Island, then Massachusetts, where you'll find Boston. Well, if, put it this way. If I tried to do the accent, 
it's right next door. And by right next door, I mean does not exist because I it's can't the do the East, accent. <laughs> it's the East Coast accent. Get out of here. Have they talk like that all the way from Maine to Florida. They oh, yeah, like absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, you know, at the end of the day. Oh, four stars, by the way. For, four stars. Uh, great. Four stars. It was great fun. I well done, Cocaine it. Bear. Well done, Cocaine Bear. <laughs> that little Aww. scamp. Uh, speaking of little scamps, uh, Marcel the shell with shoes on. <gasps> Yay! Ah, uh, this is just a thoroughly heartbreaking little film. From oh, I was meant to look up his name and I didn't even bother because I'm a bad man. Naughty. And I would have broken Marcel the shell with shoes on's heart. Naughty, naughty. Why didn't you? Why didn't you know my creator's name? That wasn't that was an impression of uh, Morik from uh, the hit podcast. Quest fantastic. Quest fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Dean Fleischer Camp is Dean uh, the name. Dean Fleischer Camp. Fleischer Camp. He's the guy, the name of the guy who made this little movie, uh, along with Jenny Slate, who uh, voices Marcel and um, is just incredibly talented because she also writes and produces cool. uh, the movie. Yeah. Marcel, he's a little guy. He's a shell with one eye and shoes and a little mouth. He lives in a human sized house with his grandmother, voiced adorably by Isabella Rossellini. And they used to have a big family, but one day the couple who owned the house split up and the family were accidentally taken too, except for Marcel and his grandmother. Oh, Oh no. So they stay behind and they muddle through and persevere. And he has a number of ingenious little ways of getting on with his life, including traveling around the house inside of a tennis ball and using a, uh, what is it now, a a mixer to shake a tree in order to shake loose little fruits that he and his grandmother have for dinner. It's, it's breaking my heart just thinking about Aww. it, Jen. It's, really, it's genuinely almost making me cry this. Aww. But when a documentarian takes an interest in him and his simple little ways, he decides to undertake a quest to find his missing family. Cute. So the, tra- the short film that inspired the film was shown at the picture house just ahead of... Um, I forget what it was ahead of now. I, I think it was Tar, bizarrely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it, it just uh, just enough to absolutely delight me and you know make me laugh and even maybe move me a little to tears. And I was perhaps a little worried about how that would stretch over a feature-length film, but those concerns were unfounded. It's a beautifully shot, acted, and paced story that initiates you into Marcel's adorable little world. Um even if he does have a somewhat caustic worldview sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's sometimes a little sassy, which is quite cute. <laughs> that is um, cute. The performances by Slater as Marcel and Rossellini as the grandmother are both perfectly suited to voicing naive little shell people um, who are also incredibly expressive and kind of wise in mm. their way. Um, it's a film about belonging and contentment and sickness and death and grief and family and ultimately one of identity. And it does this without ever feeling like it's trying to manipulate you or hit requisite emotional beats and another part of that has to be um camp's camera oh the score is by the disaster piece the people who did the score to um it follows but it's a perfect score Hmm. yeah cinematography by bianca klein and her camera is just amazing she fills this world with so much natural light that it just feels like this kind of paradise, even when it is meant to be sort of heightened for how empty it is for Marcel. Mm. It's a, a very deeply evocative and warm uh, and empathetic film. It's just a pleasure to meet Marcel and spend some time in his big, small world. Um, and it's a very elegant and emotional piece of work. So, yeah, it's all five stars for that one. Yeah, this is yeah. the one I'd like to watch. Yeah. This one looks cute. You showed it's me the. So cute. 
short film um, mm-hmm. just before we started recording, and it was adorable. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I love him. I love the little character, and it's, it's yeah. the animation style super cute. And I see what you mean. Yeah, it it's really is. adorable. It is, love, and then yeah. and then it goes places that just really surprise you in mm, terms of that's nice. how much you can relate to them. It's just it's very good, but it always it's always ready to catch you by surprise as well. With just a very amusing joke or piece of observational comedy. <laughs> is it um, pitched as like a children's film or a family film, or is it? No, I no. think it's meant to be sort of indie film territory. Sure, so yes, yeah, like adult figured, you know, mm. stuff. The same kind of whimsy as like a Wes Anderson kind mm-hmm. of experience. Okay, okay. Yeah. No one loses a finger halfway through, do they? Nobody's got a finger coming off at okay. any stage. Well, um, shame. Yeah. yeah, shame. Oh well, you can't it's have everything. You're going to have to back-to-back Cocaine Bear and um, Marcel the Shovel Shoes on, I'm afraid. I could just play one on one screen, one on the other. The weird little guy movie double. Yeah. I could <laughs> listen to the... curatorial experiment. I could take the audio from Marcel the Shovel Shoes on and watch Cocaine Bear. <laughs> that should That'd do make it. it more charming, right? And less scary. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm. Ah, well, speaking of not being too scary, <clears throat> Broker. 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 New East End movie. East End of Korea. It's, ah, um, that far east. That's very far east. Yeah, very far east. End. <laughs> it's very far east. <laughs> Going down Go East on, End, aren't I? <laughs> You're taking the mickey here now. <laughs> I said take me east, but I said go south of the river. I didn't mean like this. Yeah. Which nah. river? <laughs> the, the, the channel. So And also, <laughs> whatever they have separating Europe from Asia. There's a river, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the channel. It's also the channel. It's the Nile, right? Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. I know about yeah. the world. Yeah. So, yeah. broker, broker. A young mother played by uh, Lee 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 Hyun uh, leaves her baby outside of a church. Uh, spot mm. a church sponsored baby box that is intended as a safe place for mothers to be able to safely leave their children. Uh, it, a genuine thing that exists in Korea, controversially mm-hmm. so. Only unusually, what a bit usually when a baby is placed inside of the box, which devastatingly contains like a little blanket and basket with lights and a lullaby playing to make the little foundling child feel comfortable, um, a counselor would rush out in order to speak with the mother and try and convince her not to do this. Only the mother doesn't leave the baby in the box, but in front of the box, and so gets away scot free. Although she is spotted by two police officers, Bei Duna and Lee Jo Young who are interested in this church because two of the employees, So Kang Ho, sorry, Song Kang Ho and uh, Gang Dong Yon, are taking some of the babies who are destined for state ad- for the state adoption system and most likely a group of a group home and they sell them onto the black market, the black adoption market, to parents who might not otherwise have been able to adopt due to technicalities. Ah, okay. You know, not having the right marriage certificate or mm. you know, one of them has a record, something like that. So these are our t- titular brokers, but they aren't in it for financial gain, but rather they are driven by deeply personal traumas to try and find the best homes for these abandoned children. But when the young mother comes back and demands a cut of the money that they're going to get, wow. they find themselves on an unlikely road trip. Three brokers, well, two brokers, one mum, a baby, and two tailing police officers who are always close behind, waiting to arrest them in the act of selling the baby. Mm. So a plot rundown can make this seem incredibly edgy and dark, but 
anyone familiar with Japanese director Hirokazu Koreeda, mm-hmm. um, here making his Korean language debut, will have an idea of his soft-touch humanism, which is unafraid of the darker side of humanity, but always finds the personal and the beautiful and the sweet, even in the bleakest of circumstances. You know, I still think his darkest film is probably Nobody Knows, in which a mum essentially just walks out on her five young children, leaving the oldest son to try and fend for them all. And mm. uh, it's such a fascinating film because it's so uh, involved in like the language of the children between each other and the sort of little family that they form on their own. It's a, a devastating film. But again, it's just really sweet. It doesn't condescend to them. And neither does Broker. This could be accused of being a little bit more conventionally sentimental than his earlier works, particularly in its soundtrack, which sort of, you know, tugs at the heartstrings. But I would just challenge you not to get swept up in the drama and the character, the characters of it, because the characters all feel so lived in and the defenses they've erected around themselves feel so believable and heartbreaking because you just want to push through and actually connect with them. Song Kang-ho has been singled out as one of the brokers, um, and he is wonderful. It's Mm. another tragic and deeply you know, a human turn from the Parasite actor who Mm -hmm. played the poor dad in Parasite. Um, But it's an ensemble piece that just perfectly balances its character dramas. And also, Koreeda has such an eye for location. His small town in countryside South Korea feels just as evocative as all of his Japanese Mm. work. And he's he's been all over Japan. He's got, like, city-based stuff and little towns and, like... Oh, but if you think of something like the small town from uh, Still Walking, it has a similar kind of a feel to it. Of just a, I don't know, you just get a sense of these little beachside places mm. <laughs> that exist, the fairgrounds that they go to, and you know, even in a very premise-driven film with this sort of compelling plot about selling this baby, he allows sequences to play out in these small, intimate surroundings that feel so well observed and authentic. Mm. You know, they'll go back to uh, a group home or they'll go out to a fun fair or they're just in their car which they sort of segregated off into this really interesting set that feels like a character in and of itself and it just mm. adds a layer of comfort to a story that's definitely not afraid to show the darker side of its characters and its premise but always does so with unaffected empathy um, yeah and in spite of everything it's just a movie that you want to keep staying in and keep watching so Cool. It's five stars again. It's one Great. of my favorite films of 2022. It's 2022. Incredible. Are we still counting this? We're in still. Last year's I know. I think Marcel is also 2022. Creed three is this year though. So it's Cocaine Bear, Knock at the Cabin, and, and this uh, is Ant Man. But <laughs> based on your that you run Oscar year to Oscar year, right? Um, it's it's yeah, it's based on American uh, primary American release. So it's, sure. Um, okay. Yeah, it's whatever date is written in brackets after it's IMDb is what I sure. tend to go for. Okay. Just so um, that we don't get into the thing where, like, critics who are making their list of the best films of 2023 include The Fablemans, for example. Mm. It, just, it just doesn't quite feel right. But maybe we do take it too far with things that just genuinely haven't had a release until <laughs> outside of festivals until the year that we're talking about. Yeah. So, maybe, yeah. But I no. still say Broker is 2022, and I love it. I love it. <laughs> Great. I love it. Yeah, it sounds great. I'd love to watch that. Oh, yeah. No, I highly yeah. recommend it. Mm. Yeah. I think we we caught a trailer for it. Yeah. Um, oh, it's, it has a great trailer and it's been around yeah. quite a bit. And I imagine they'd have put one out ahead of um, Decision to Leave. Yeah, when we saw that, I think yeah. <clears throat> I think it had the trailer for that and it did look great. It was very good. Ah, <sighs> Yeah, in spite of its subject matter, it manages to be a really endearing film about a child in trouble. Mm. And then there's Skinner Marink. <gasps> I've read the plot synopsis for this already. 
Oh, I also did I just... that, and it was it was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, I saw. I wish um... I hadn't. Well, you were going to watch the film. I wasn't. Um... <laughs> True. Oh no, I didn't read it beforehand. But I'll, oh. I'll explain in a moment. Where did you see? Oh no, I just saw heard saw people talking about it on Twitter and that uh... Americans talking about <laughs> it on Twitter like yeah. in January. Um, yeah. And then being like, huh, sounds weird. So yeah. I read the plot synopsis. Yeah. That's yeah. how I like to well, consume horror, you know. I know, indeed. But this this is awkward because this is one of those films that's actually, you don't want to say too much about mm-hmm. anything. And the less you know, the better. I made the terrible mistake of reading the Wikipedia plot summary after seeing the film. Um, and it just made explicable some of the things I really would probably have preferred to mm-hmm. have remained a mystery. Okay. Make no mistake. It's still horrible. <laughs> there's, there's still a really horrible dark heart at the center of this film and what is happening to these children. But it just that heart beats a little harder when covered in layers of darkness. So what can we say? We're in a home with two small children. It's late. It's dark. Our view is obfuscated. We can barely see. And what we can hear is distorted. It's been shot on digital film, but it's been made to look like old VHS footage. So it's grainy. It's bleached out, like the brightness Mm. has been cranked up so that darkness appears as this weird swirling purple kind of mess. Voices are distorted and often need to be subtitled. This is our point of view. We see doorways, corridors, child's toys, a television screen showing old children's cartoons that illuminates the tiny living room. Um, There's a bedroom, but we're not going to talk about what happens there. (laughs) There's darkness, lots of darkness, silence repetition children's voices whispering they're trying not to be heard there's something wrong with mum and dad mm. the doors are disappearing skittering so mm-hmm. what else can be said it's one of the most frightening films i've ever seen mm. um i've never seen childhood fear so richly and evocatively portrayed on screen um how do you describe the kind of horror it's long sequences of absolutely unbearable tension where i could barely bring myself to look at the screen. You're just waiting for your limited scope of experience that's been created by the sound and visual to suddenly be overwhelmed by the horrific imagery and startling sound. Mm-hmm. So it proves itself capable Ugh. of doing a couple of really ugh, innovative jump scares, and it just keeps you on edge waiting for that the whole time. But it's not a sort of, you know, shocker minute, insidious style sure. adventure. It's definitely not. It's very claustrophobic, very slow. And director Carl Edward Ball, uh, Ball has such a talent for the uncanny and the unsettling. He just knows how to make something uncomfortable. Um, he has cited some very interesting influences. Some you may expect. He's talked about Kubrick and Lynch. But he also cites experimental filmmakers Chantal Ackerman and Maya Darren. And it's not just art house name dropping. You can see Ackerman in the framing and the placing Sorry, the pacing of the piece, you know, the Mm. long, slow takes and such to make you sort of really feel where you are and the sense of disquiet that comes with it. Um, And the Darren is all over the place in the editing, the experimental editing, the alarming surrealist visuals. Yeah, there's meshes of the afternoon and, and, you know, choreography for a camera. There's there's all sorts of feelings to this thing. Mm. Um, It's just very scary, very original, very promising. And yeah, the final shot of the thing is going to stick with me for a long time, I think. It was absolutely horrifying. Five stars. Yeah, troubling. <laughs> <laughs> Disturbing. Five stars, no thank you. Fair um, enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sounds creepy. I got creeped out just about you talking about how creepy it was. So I, I mean, don't want to watch it. Yeah, I would recommend... Mm. What can we do here? Just uh, let me see what it's like if no. you just do an image no. search. 
No. <laughs> no. Oh, I, I will share. Can I share one thing? Because it's just. It's oh, one Paul, of my favorites. It's be not just like that time you made me watch one get beheaded in that trailer. That was very good, but no, you, it's not. You that. were like, it's funny. And I was like, sure. It's just the poster. Sure. <laughs> Sometimes I think I know you. And then other days I'm like, remember that time when he was like, oh, there's something really funny at the end of this trailer and someone got beheaded. They didn't get beheaded. Their head just twisted around. Their head just twisted around and fell off. That's just, it's fine. <laughs> oh, I can't make it happen now. Oh, fine. <laughs> what a shame. Here we go. Share I'm really, I'm, I'm just, I'm just getting more and more nervous. Oh there god, we. the screen's about to be shared. Okay, yeah, I see what you mean. The motion picture yeah. that shocked Fantasia, Fantasia. which is the, uh, yeah, it's a uh, film fest. Fantastic film fest. Oh, that's fun because there's also a belly dance festival that we pr- yeah. we call Fantasia um in london that's fun yeah this i is like the to think it also shocked fantasia belly dance <laughs> festival <laughs> some of these images are unrelated but it's this kind of image that you're just okay seeing. Just yeah grainy footage of like a kid sat in a hallway that's terrifying yeah it's really quite frightening that is it... co- that is way more coherent than anything that's in wow. you'd never see that much of the kids Ugh. It makes me think I watched so uh on uh another my other hit podcast uh mm. we played a game called something is wrong with this house. Oh yeah. And one of the influences that we enjoyed it very much. I was looking at the mm. booklet and one of the influences they cited was um this video essay about places mm. as horror, sources of horror in themselves oh, not, yeah. oh, not or places that are haunted. Not oh, yeah. places that are haunted by anything else, but that the place itself is haunted. And right. they were talking about a video game that had, that existed, and the whole game was just walking around this house mm. and picking up cassette recordings and listening to them. Yeah. And that's it. You just go into different rooms and find cassettes and listen to these <laughs> clips, and it's all very... And even just watching clips of that was terrifying. Yeah. And um, I'm sort of getting similar vibes. Um of just uh yeah just uh, so it sounds very creepy no it's it's extraordinarily creepy yeah and it's 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 really promising i'm looking forward to seeing what this director does next but for now i'm just really great uh, grateful to have like a really recent new great classic horror film Mm, that's something that really pushes the medium forward a bit i'm happy for you paul (laughs) and it's the the one thing that lights your little heart up (laughs) you know what it's great it's always great when a definitive installment in a franchise, in a, in a genre comes along and something that's mm-hmm. not just content to just ride along on genre convention. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, What's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? Got to do with it? Um, yeah. Let me find... Who's... No, who's I, can't, I don't know a single other lyric. Uh, no, it's by. Because... Wham. It's kind of... Is it wham? I've no it idea. It would make sense if it was wham. <laughs> I've no idea. It would that was so a random stab in the dark. It would make absolute sense if this was Wham, because that's the kind of thing we're dealing with here. Because, unbelievably, Shekhar Kapoor, the director of Elizabeth, directs this British rom-com about Kaz, a Muslim man played by Shazad Latif, uh, who decides to allow his parents to arrange a marriage for him. Mm. A process now rebranded as assisted marriage, Mm -hmm. where they shall vet and screen a match for him to marry, just almost on first first Mm -hmm. meeting. 
Uh, interested in this is his best friend Zoe, played by Lily James, who decides to film a documentary about his experience and chaos ensues, as I'm sure you can imagine. And I say it's a surprise that Kapoor directed this because Elizabeth was such a unique period film that was filled with so much life and energy and creativity, and it's strange to see him direct something so thoroughly ordinary. (laughs) I really expected the director of the best exotic uh, Marigold Hotel to have been involved, or Military Wives, or, you know, any other of these seemingly endless sort of twee British comedy films. As a rom-com, it's very conventional, following beats that are you know, familiar even to me. And, to, you know, just they come <laughs> together, they're going to come apart, there's an obstacle, there, then there's a complication, and it's just... Oh, God. I tried to think of who to blame for all this, in terms of it as a trend of British cinema, and, you know, what is the trendsetter? And I think I'd blame Richard Curtis. <laughs> I think he's to blame. Because it's it's a comedy... Aww. The comedy of it is... Uh, Yes, I know. And he succeeded. (laughs) Terribly so. (laughs) Um, The comedy is based around puns and awkward moments that feel so written and unnatural that you just can't place it within like real mm. people it's a superficial and inauthentic london which powerfully invokes last christmas in its aesthetic tone and having emma thompson <laughs> it's all those things put together and just the the broadness of it it's unwillingness to take a stand or really say anything about the premise which is interesting it's an interesting idea to have a novel look at mm. arranged or assisted marriages and compare them to the chaotic nature of western coupling and you know but, it's, mm. you know, it's going to go exactly where you think it's going to go. It, you know where it's going to end up. And there's not a chance of any twists or any kind of deep Wait, investment in the character. Do they fall in love, Paul? <gasps> they might do. They might fall in love. But hang on a minute. He's getting an arranged marriage and she's involved in a string of problematic relationships. But they can't possibly end up together. Can they? Maybe. Uh, and because there's no investment, you start noticing minor flaws. Mm-hmm. You know, camera technique. Uh, Okay, so her camera technique, she's meant to be shooting a documentary, but the way she's holding her camera just makes you, uh, like, consistently in the scenes, just makes you think if you ever actually watched the footage she's shooting, it would be a nightmare. (laughs) It'd be like J.J. Abrams' shaky cam, because she keeps, like, dropping the camera in order to look coquettishly around the camera to react to things happening in the scene. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, she also has this really bizarre habit of... So early on in the movie, she has uh, a friend who has kids and she goes and tells these kids a nursery rhyme, which transforms into a thinly veiled telling of her pre- uh, presenting herself as, um, I think, the beautiful princess who mm. gets into a string of bad relationships. And she's essentially recounting her sure. love life. You kind of think when it keeps going back to this without showing her telling the kids that this has just become a narrative device for our benefit. Mm. or a way of describing the situation to herself or just a clumsy way of delivering exposition. But no, she's still talking to the kids about this, which Mm. includes an an analogy for getting into toxic relationships. Wow. It's just... Oh okay, God, the film well, is... kids have got to learn somehow, I guess. They've got to learn somehow, and they might as well learn about how maybe the princess actually wanted to be eaten by a big bad wolf. So <laughs> the film is fairly unsubtle, fatally unsubtle, in fact, which makes some of the plot points feel really callous. Like mm. there's a there's a relationship that kicks in in the third act, which needs to come to an end because one partner is basically not as into it as the other. Mm. But the film doesn't want anyone to miss the fact that the partner isn't happy, and so she loudly annoys, announces how unhappy she is in earshot of the other character over and over again. Wow. You just think, wow, you're kind of a dick. <laughs> I mean, I get it. The movie doesn't want to go to the effort of making your issue complicated, but 
wow ouch <laughs> mm-hmm. and the film is oh god well look asim chowdhury and sindhu v both are in the movie asim chowdhury okay. is a matchmaker sindhu v as a um oh who does she play she plays a uh she's in one scene where she plays someone who's an advisor on egg freezing i don't know what the title would be for that um you may know sindhu v she played the librarian she's a great I know british comedian hosting um radio 4 ah programs. Yeah. good stuff <laughs> and she was in matilda she played yeah. the librarian in the T- matilda movie fun very good she's very good and she and asim chowdhury are both hilarious uh they get a very short amount of screen time but you get the impression they were maybe given a chance to improvise mm. um yeah that's that's kind of the highlights um i have high hopes i have high hopes for rye lane the uh, peckham based romantic comedy we're getting soon and hallelujah which is looks like one of these older person sort of movies but with mm. it's got a, an alan bennett script and it looks like it's a very fine central performance from uh, jennifer saunders because Ooh. i just don't enjoy that there's this whole genre of british film that i just persistently do not get on with and i'm, <laughs> I'm disappointed in this film because i do feel it had potential and mm. i I'm, I'm i'm upset that it feels like it was just wanting to coast on that yeah so. it sort of feels like it should be a bend it like beckham but yeah it just lacked the vision. The I'm amazed that this had a good director. I really thought it would be a workman. Mm. Uh, anyway, it's two stars. I'm very disappointed in it. But Aww. yeah, ultimately, I just didn't buy into the sentimentality of it. Fair. Yeah. I can do, though. I can buy into the sentimentality of movies. Can you? I can. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I might anger you at this stage because now I'm going to tell you that this is the first Shrek-related media that I have seen all the way through since the first one, which I was made to watch in art class when I was 15. It's a shame you're missing out. I've enjoyed Shrek properties, but what have we had? Shrek one, two, one, two, and three. Is the fourth one? I think there is, and it's Shrek goes forth or something. They stole black. In fact, didn't they steal Blackadder's titles all the way through? Isn't it like Shrek two and then Shrek the third? Oh, maybe Shrek goes forth. (laughs) That'd be fun. I think they did. And uh, then there's yeah. been previous Puss in Boots movies. Maybe just oh, one? true. I've seen a Puss in Boots movie. Um, was there a... There wasn't a donkey. Was there something else? No donkey spin-off. As far as I know, it's just the Shrek ones and Puss in Boots. I, who am I? Okay. I'm not the person to ask. I've seen three <laughs> Shrek films, I think. Okay. Definitely the first two. I think I... Yeah, the, yes, because the second one involves a bunch of different princesses. I remember some gags. Yes. From that okay. third one, I don't super remember, so maybe I haven't seen that. Maybe. But anyway, well, just... I mean, I'm not going to blame you too hard for not seeing more than just the original well, track. you're just going to have to forgive me if I'm, you know, stating the obvious or missing the point at any stage during this. <laughs> so somehow there's a magical talking cat called Puss in Boots. <laughs> His voice by Antonio Banderas. He's an abomination. And he, um, <laughs> he's the greatest hero in the land. He, he sings this infuriatingly catchy song at the beginning that I can't remember how it goes. The greatest hero. I can't remember it. Anyway. I'm holding up for a hero. That's the one. He's holding up for a hero until the end of the the night. That was in the first film. Ah, good stuff. Well, that was... Puss in Boots only shows up in the second one, right? No. Or is it the third one? He's in the first one, isn't he? Is he actually? Maybe he is only in the second one. Gosh, I don't know. Oh, God, people. Uh, The Shrek fans are going to be furious. Mm. I apologize if anyone of you are listening to this. All the Shrek heads out there. Oh, Shrek heads. Shrek heads. So he is the greatest hero in the land, but he realizes he has used up eight of his nine lives, meaning (gasps) the next time he dies, he's dead for good. So 
he's soon being stalked by a menacing wolf figure, uh, played by Wagner Marora, who seems to represent the inevitable end for Puss. Um, terrified, <laughs> he goes in search of a fallen shooting star which has the ability to bestow a single wish, which he wants to use to restore all of his lives. Mm. But he soon finds that he's facing stiff competition for the last wish. Ah, I get it. Ah, you see. So it's a very cute and colourful animated film, but with a slight dark edge that I believe is characteristic of the franchise. Maybe, I don't actually know. But... (laughs) This doesn't feel anywhere near as obnoxious as I remember the first Shrek being. I've got to be honest. I remember all the pop culture references and the Matrix rip and all of that. And it, it's, it, it didn't quite gel with old 15-year-old Paul. No, that's, blame that one on 15-year-old Paul. First Shrek's great. Okay. It's got go one of my favourite jokes from cinema in it. Was it? It's where they do, it's the little song in the, in the, the machine when they get to do lock, which is meant to be this perfect place. Mm. And it's just, it's really dumb. It's just, it's this little, um... Like animatronic of characters mm. being like, please don't step on the grass, clean your shoes, wipe your face. And it's just so perfectly timed. I, was just, I don't know. <laughs> Every time it makes me giggle a lot. Um, it's got lots of go, great jokes in that. It's I great should film. go watch the Shrek now that I'm not a cynical teenager. Mm-hmm. I'm a cynical adult and I might get more out of it. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, there's no pop culture references that I saw or stoner-style gags. It's just the story of one cat trying to get, trying to deal with getting old. Because this is actually a story about death and uh, being closer to it. Just enough so to scare the little girl next to me. Um, oh. There was a very young girl next to me who at various points would say, I want to go home. I don't oh. like the wolf. Oh. <laughs> None of us <laughs> like the wolf, little girl. But he's out there. The wolf is death, little girl. The wolf is coming for all of us. <laughs> Everyone you love. <laughs> Including you. You're young now. Yeah. Even you too will die one day. <laughs> you've not met any children younger than you. Everyone you've met will be taken by the wolf before and you will live to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy! She's like, listen to him. He's talking truth. <laughs> He's telling the truth. It was a single dad who had brought her, which I thought was fa- fairly cute. He was just like really trying to keep her in the cinema. Oh. <laughs> he didn't want to take the kid out. He's just like, no, it's all right. Look, you just set my no, knee. look, we, look, we can't go back because your mum will shout at me for taking you to a film that made you cry. So uh, please <laughs> I stay thought and enjoy it. Would be safe. I don't understand this world anymore. Let's go to cocaine bear. <laughs> oh. Spoil twist. Kid loves it. <laughs> so it's it's shooting up. It's doing some interesting stuff. But look. <laughs> Some of the voice acting is a bit dull, I'll have to say. Especially, well, only really John Mulaney, mm. who plays mm-hmm. big, big Jack Horner. You know, the idea of Little Jack uh, Horner little got Jack big. Horner. Mm-hmm. He got big, and he is such a fun character design because he's meant to be this, like, really uh, effete kind of lad who's now mm. massive. So he's got, like, the, the childish sort of British-looking uh, face, but he's now huge. Um, he's quite fun. It's just a shame he just sounds like an American guy. <laughs> that is good design. You're it's right. It's a good design, but he <laughs> That's just very good design. He just talks like this, like Billy Crystal is how he uh, talks, and it's just sure. not quite fun. And it's not even fun in like an anticlimactic way. It's just not as fun as it should be. Conversely, mm. Banderas is of course giving it everything he's got, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And Florence Pugh is in it as uh, wow. Goldilocks. And she shows up having uh, created like a gang, a, a mob, a, a crime family out of the bears who have adopted her. Oh, that's fun. That is fun. And, and Mama Bear is Ray Winston and Mummy Bear is Olivia Coleman. And 
they're both great all three you know three of them are really good samson ko plays the other bear and he's fine you know it's Mm -hmm. there's yeah but there's some very good stuff there involving them and that voice acting um i very much enjoy that he's referred to by his full name puss in boots throughout (laughs) i think that's very good except when he is called senor cato senor cato Senor Cato. <laughs> and I like that he's just a cat, and I like that the movie mostly frames him to remind you that he's just a little cat. <laughs> yeah, it's great when they just, yeah, Puss in Boots is fun. <laughs> not on purpose, like even just when it's not on purpose, when he's just like a little dude in a hat, mm. <laughs> like, yeah. in, his, in his little boots, and everyone else is substantially bigger than him. I like it yeah. a lot. And yeah, there's been a lot of stunning children films out recently, and it doesn't quite rank, but mm. it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I really enjoyed it, and I think it's a okay. good, good little time out. So I think it's three stars. Good. Great. Yeah. Okay. Whew. We're nearly there. <laughs> we have two left. And you know, Smash them together. Just I'll, jewel, I'll talk about them. Jewel review. Scream and people can interpret it. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's just lovely to see a film about finding where you belong. As is Blue Jean. Blue Jean. Okay. You might know this. I think it was at the film mm, festival. Yeah. This- it does ring a bell. It's quite a tough one. It's Georgia Oakley's powerful drama about a closeted PE teacher um, mm. living up north in England um, Ooh, in 1988. Yep, 1988 up north, Oof. just as Thatcher's horrible Section 28 laws are coming in. Ah, yes, which, yes, yes, The specific laws of which uh, prohibit schools from normalizing or promoting homosexual behavior amongst other horrible things that they did. Mm-hmm. I, think it was, I think it was more generally about local authorities as well, so it was just every aspect of life was supposed to not be promoting homosexuality as something that was normal or acceptable. Yeah. 1986. Yay. Very near. No, 1988, literally within my lifetime, just. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, we've got this main character. She tries to keep her private and public life separate because she's got this job. She doesn't want to lose and a private life. She doesn't really want to lose either, but she's beginning to feel the lines blur, especially when a shy young lesbian girl in her class sort of, senses that there's something mm. that they have in common um yeah one who is everyone is and everyone else in her life is keen to point out that she is reminiscent of her <laughs> she doesn't mm. see it of course so rosie McEwen as our main character is at the center of you know nearly every frame of the film it's um one of those things where she's just like it's like laszlo nemes you know she's just there in every single every single frame just front and center and i hope this is a star making turn for her because she deserves it it's a performance that is at once really stubborn and kind of cold because that's kind of how she has to be but the heartbreak is mm. always there you can always see on her just the vulnerability and the fragility and it makes you really on edge because you just really get worried about what's going to happen to just completely smash her persona and her world the 1980s are richly invoked as a claustrophobic and stuffy <laughs> and horrible looking place where cigarette smoke and the smell of leather just fill the air um and oakley's direction is very confrontational but Mm. even in the warmer moments creating a feeling that the hostility of the outside world is just constantly being ready you know ready to just burst through and overwhelm our characters nevertheless there's this you know lovely moments of bonding and connection where she finds her home and feels you know the warmth of her community because that's really where fulfillment safety and love comes from it's from her Mm. community even if i believe it's trying to articulate the fact that there are parts of the community that she doesn't that doesn't gel with her 
but you know this is where she has to go which is really interesting sure. she's mm. not into the whole communal living you know she contributes she contributes like hell to you know the pot fund that they use to like pay help young kids who have had to run away from their parents mm. for example get set up things like that she contributes and cares about the community but she doesn't dig the whole communal living everybody sleeps with each other mm. um nobody has their own private spaces kind of feel that she's forced into because she's marginalized on the edges of society. But of course she does love her girlfriend who mm. is very much into those spaces. So there's an interesting like clash between them in terms of the people they want to be because our main character can pass her okay. girlfriend and the rest of the community cannot and deliberately. So they have made that you know yes. decision um, to be sort of aggressively <laughs> in your face. Visible. So it's a lovely little piece of history that uh, I obviously didn't live through, but recalls the excellent documentary Rebel Dykes, uh, mm-hmm. which I reviewed as part of BFI Flair, and has this very authentic feel to me anyway. Mm. Um, I've got to say, I don't know if this was anywhere near the director's intentions, or if this is something she believes in at all, but it's very hard not to watch this documentary about all of this and not think about the state of anti-trans rhetoric in this country right now Mm, well there's definite parallels there's Mm -hmm. so many parallels just watching this film about gay rights in the 1980s the same old bigoted arguments coming out and you know we must protect children you know you can do what you like but we mustn't have it around children and that people who deviate from the norm and must be untrustworthy and you know stereotypes and horrible mm-hmm. you know things being said and it's the same similar kind of cliches well, a lot of people have made those exact points that it's the exact same language that yeah. has been used in the past to demonize gay people yep. black people yep pretty much any Absolutely. any minority group and yeah you know we move past that for the most part at least it being socially acceptable to say those things and now <sighs> yeah. this is just the latest group down the line that and it just uh, it's just here legitimized by a few noteworthy people and yeah here it is. It seems to be everywhere, and it's just horrifying. And the real horror of this film is seeing these this competent, compassionate, and tr- tenuously happy woman mm. constantly under threat of having it all stripped away from her for no reason. And that's a reality mm-hmm. for far too many people living today in all kinds of communities. So it's, it's four stars. It's a really quite powerful piece of work that I really am grateful to have watched. But yeah, it can be a it can be a tough watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Mm. I guess. Yeah. Ah, it's a terrible thing to feel uncomfortable in your own skin, especially if you are a creature. Is that a title of a film? Yeah, creature. Creature. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, just briefly on this last one because I actually feel a little unqualified to talk too much about it because what this primarily is. You're not a creature. I'm not a creature. I do come from the swamps. I'll I'll get this one. (laughs) (laughs) I do feel at liberty to talk and review a movie about the lesbian experience of the 1980s. But 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 I don't know. I have no idea what this film's about, so I'm really interested to see what you're going to (laughs) say. The reason is is because this is a dance film and it's about ballet, specifically. This is a ballet (laughs) film. That's where you draw the line. It's because I just I don't feel... possibly talk about ballet. It's because I can't dissect it. This is like, it's it's very cinematic. It's told with the language okay. of cinema. But this is a movie that is, it has very little, in fact, I don't think there's any dialogue beyond oh, um, wow. audio recording. This is purely dance. So. Does a film or documentary? Like a fiction? Film. Or... It's okay. a film. There's no narration or anything. Well, there's narration from Andy Circus, but it's like, you know, it's um, Nixon's <laughs> okay. it's Nixon's commentary, uh, message to the Apollo astronauts. And then it's um, Andy Circus coming in to tell us that the outside temperature is dropping. That's what the narration is. 
There's no explanation. It's not like wow. the following thing. This is a, a filmed, choreographed dance piece. Okay. Oh, okay. So it's, it is a, it's a dance piece. It is a piece. ballet. Yeah. I see. Called Creature. Okay. And... Yes. I'm starting to understand now why you were. <laughs> why I'm struggling <laughs> Maybe a little. feeling a little out of your depth. Yeah. A little bit. It's Asif Kapadia is the director who made uh, wonderful drama films like Warrior back in the day uh, before settling into a trilogy of incredibly well-accomplished documentaries. He made Senna about Senna, mm-hmm. Amy, about Amy Winehouse, mm-hmm. and he made uh, Diego Maradona about Amy Winehouse again. It was a very weird... Oh, interesting. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Weird well, sequel. Bold. Very bold. He's a bold man. Mm. And here he directs the English National uh, Ballet in an adaptation of Akram Khan's Creature, in which Jeffrey Creo, a gorgeous young man, uh, plays the titular creature as he discovers a young woman, a gorgeous and expressive young man, I should say, uh, uh, discovers a young woman, then a fascist regime. We're in an Arctic base. There's a disaster happening. There's a scientist. There's a fascist. <laughs> there's a doctor. And there's a lot of dancing. <laughs> that's that's what I have to tell you, Jen. The sight well... and sound review of this film described it as impenetrable, which I'm not sure is a bad thing in general in life. No. <laughs> I like this film's expressiveness I like the ambiguity and the mystery of it I like the attempts to tell an emotional and seemingly epic story through gesture and you know the absolutely incredible choreography that astounds and excites and is mm. alternately grandiose and deeply intimate you know it recalls like a Fritz Lang kind of experience at times but with more graceful movement um, but I have to say it's Capadia's uh, direction that really excels here it is for the most part a single room there's a couple of establishing what? shots to show that we're in the Arctic, but for the most part, we're in one room that gets repurposed and redressed with different, you know, furniture and layout to serve many purposes. But the way the film is shot, never distracting from the stagecraft, but heightening it to the level of like cinema should absolutely be required watching for anyone hoping to adapt the stage. And in particular, like performing art stuff on the stage, like dance or musicals or anything else. Mm. They ha- they should watch this to see how you use your camera to enhance that experience rather than detract from it or compromise around it. Uh, it makes a merit of the artifice of it and really earns its place on the big screen. It's great filmmaking, great performances, but it might require a couple watches to really get to the heart of what it's about. So it's it's four stars. I really enjoyed it. Okay. But uh, yeah, God, I tell you, it sure is rough being some kind of artificial being in a fascist Arctic research base. Oh, it's not a segue. I'm done. Oh, okay. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I imagine so. I imagine so. Yeah. I imagine so. Um, I think I might need to give Blue Jean five stars. I'm trying to think now of what it is, why it didn't. Well, if it didn't it just a... grab you for that extra star, I think that's fair. Sometimes it just has to be that subjective. You can't really apply criteria to it. And for the fifth no. star, I've always just said you just kind of feel it. Yeah, you just know. I really enjoyed it. I I thought it, you know what? I've always said four stars is for a movie that I cannot fault, and then five stars is for the one that blows me away. Yeah, and I cannot fault Blue Blue Jean. I think it was absolutely perfect to what it was setting out to do. But maybe I just wasn't the person that it's going to speak to the most. But nevertheless, I still really found it to be a powerfully empathetic piece of work. Wow. Yeah. And they did some dancing. And then in Creature, they did some dancing as well. (laughs) And I thought that was very good. Yeah. Yeah, so nice. that's it. Cool. Well, yeah. that's some films. That's Paul, some, watch films some films and a half. I want some films, and I hope you've enjoyed hearing about it. The, <laughs> the problem about going down to once a month during this is that we do end up talking about a lot of movies. Yeah, 
Well, look, I just do what you tell me. So. Uh, well, looking forwards, what have we got? Close. Uh, you know, story. you can only summon me once a month now that we switch to the um, a lunar cycle. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, I've, I've look. The portal hey. only opens when the moon is full. What can I next, do about it? Next week, there are two noteworthy movies coming out: Scream Six and Cairo Conspiracy. And I remember thinking, "Oh, Cairo Conspiracy, that sounds interesting." And then I read the plot synopsis, and was like, "Oh, I've seen it. That's they've renamed yeah. Boy from Heaven." Ah, yeah. I, okay. I thought <laughs> yes, because I you saw the poster that. for it. I and saw like, it written on the board in the picture house, being like, "Yes, oh, and you're like that sounds conspiracy. good." That's interesting. It's an Makes Egyptian sense. film that wasn't at the film festival, uh, and. <laughs> I, you know, I definitely would have noticed that. Yeah. Um, I mean, the title makes sense. Yeah. It is a Cairo yeah, conspiracy. A cons- <laughs> conspiracy set in Cairo and it makes just more as much sense, sense as Boys from Heaven, from Heaven perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of does, really. I don't I know. I came expecting some sort of delightful gay romp. And uh, <laughs> I went home, not yeah. disappointed, but <laughs> differently <Yeah>. pointed. <laughs> <laughs> differently pointed. It's true that Boy from Heaven does make it sound a lot jollier. It does rather, yes. Yeah. Yes, that is a point. Rather than a grim depiction of the uh, mechanisms of, uh, Stay, uh, of yeah. the Egyptian state. Mm-hmm. Well, as what. the guy pointed out, it wasn't meant to be realistic or political or true or any sort of real <laughs> or commentary. True. Or good. It's true. <laughs> oh, okay. He well, you made it seem very realistic. <laughs> realistic. So. Oh, my God. Yeah. Jen, there's some good movies coming out in March. Yeah. Yeah, we've got Ryan. Go Lane. on, give everyone a little treat. We've got Rye Lane, that uh, mm-hmm. rom-com set in uh, Peckham that I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to. We've got 65, where Adam Driver fights dinosaurs. <laughs> okay. Pearl is finally coming out, the long-awaited uh, follow-up to X. I say long-awaited, it's been like, it came out like six months after, but it's long-awaited for Britain because America uh, has had it since like October. Sure. Uh, we've got John Wick 4. <gasps> yeah. Now I'm excited. And we've got D&D, which, dang it, I'm looking forward to. I am also going to watch it. A friend (laughs) sent me a clip the other day, a friend who I've been GMing GMing some sessions for. Yeah. Sent me a clip, and I was like, my instinct was to be cynical about it. I mean, I had had heard, you know, I knew of the film already. And then I went, you know what? Yeah. I am actually going to go watch this, I think. I think so. There's been a couple of hints in the actual thing that they are actually being a little bit savvy about the experience of playing D&D. And maybe it's just because they've listened mm. to a lot of Critical Role or the podcast. Yeah, but nevertheless, it looks like they're trying to capture that kind of magic in it. Mm. And that's yeah. more than any of these things have tried to do before. So excited. True, because it's not... It's not- just a fantasy film it shouldn't if you're making a film called dungeons and dragons it shouldn't yeah. just be a fantasy film that uses the same tropes that dungeons and dragons uses yeah it should be about universal. capturing what's specifically fun yeah. about playing a nonsense well, fantasy game that's mostly improvised with a bunch of your mates yeah because <laughs> like, that is what has become you know there's D everywhere now there's D episodes of various sitcoms there's D mm. podcasts there's D in television like stranger things so mm. Hopefully now people have a better idea of what it is that people actually like about this stuff. Yeah, and we shall see that. Yeah, yeah. but until then, that's a. That's but a mostly whole... we'll see John Wick Four. Mostly we'll see. Oh John yeah, Wick mostly 4. John Wick Four. Even though it is not nearly three hours long, which is a worry. Is it? It actually is. I'm really worried about that. Why? Why is it what? that long? <laughs> They've brought those cool dogs back from John Wick Three, and it's just okay. going to be them for forty minutes, and I'm going to be very happy. <laughs> okay, that's good. We need to go see that together. I think. Yeah, I think so. I think so. 
In a comfy cinema, please. (laughs) Yes, we'll find a very, very comfy cinema for that. And we shall share (laughs) our thoughts. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you the end of the podcast. You've been listening to Jen and the (laughs) Film Critic. (laughs) A Scream Mayhem podcast. My name was Jen Blundell and my film critic was Paul Salt. Say goodbye, Paul Salt. Woo! I think it was. (laughs) What does Luigi say? Luigi. (laughs) Yeah, that's why Luigi. (laughs) Yeah. Ah, oh, no. Uh, well. Mario. Mario. <laughs> he says a lot. Ma- Mario. Mario. Luigi's slow matching. down, Mario. <laughs> Mario. It's hard to keep up with you, Mario. <laughs> I'm so much taller than you. <laughs> but my legs. My legs do not move so fast. But Mario. I can fall slightly slower when I jump. Yeah. You know I'm clumsy, Mario. <laughs> I don't even care about Peach. <laughs> what am I doing here? I love Wario. I've, I've got a life of my own, Mario. <laughs> And it's with Wario when we're leaving. We're going to set up a life together. Oh, it's It's going to be beautiful. And that's going to be the topic of the Super Mario Brothers movie. (laughs) Oh, I'd love that. Mushroom Kingdom, here we come. Um, Anyway, (laughs) I call it. (laughs) Our music was by Jacob (laughs) Blundell. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at Screen Mayhem or you can email us at filmcriticpodcast at gmail.com. Do it. And I hope you have a lovely March or April, Aww. whenever this actually gets released. <laughs> it's going out in March. <laughs> yeah, we are right at the start of the month, to be fair. Yeah. That was sassy. Um, <laughs> I hope you're enjoying some nice films this month. Yeah, tell us what they are. Get in touch. Yeah, I want to yeah, hear. Please, please, please. What um, do you think of the D&D movie? Yeah. yeah. Tell us. We'll, t- we'll, yeah. we'll record it. We'll record yeah. you saying that. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. 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 Yoshi!